Our scripture reading now will be uh, from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll read the whole chapter, but we'll be focusing especially on the, the last paragraph, verse 8 through to verse 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. As we read through this chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I wondered if you noticed something a bit unusual about it. Um, Unusual, I'd go so far as to say unique. Well, the unusual or unique thing about it is it doesn't mention the name of Christ. Uh, That is very, very unusual in Paul. Uh, Open any of his letters at any page, and you'll hear him speaking about Christ. What is unique about it, not just unusual, it doesn't mention the name of God at all. Um, of course, that makes it uh, very, uh, very useful in secular weddings and other secular occasions. But we know, of course, that uh, it's set in a context. And the context there is that the immediate context of the chapters on either side, chapters 12 and 14, with Paul is speaking about the use of these gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, within the church and the church being the body of Christ. And we know that uh, the, the whole is set in uh, the, the whole letter, which is all about uh, Christ and, uh, and, and is addressed to this church at Corinth. Um, the church at Corinth was uh, one of was founded by Paul. Um, he loved the church at Corinth. He says so. He tells them that he loves them. 
even though they caused him some grief at times. Um, these verses that we read, especially this last paragraph that we're looking at, they tell us about a time of coming perfection, when the perfect comes, they say. They tell us about the partial and incomplete nature of the present time. They tell us about the need to grow in Christian character because it's character which will last to eternity. And it compares the use of the gifts of the Spirit with the growth of Christian character. It doesn't say gifts of bad character is good, but it stresses for us the necessity of growth in Christian character. Contrasting the permanence of character with the impermanence of the gifts. And it tells us that a time of perfection is coming. That time will be seeing God face to face. And uh, if you're, perhaps if you're looking for a, a title for the sermon, it is this. It's about seeing God face to face. And it says we cannot see God face to face until we have changed. Let's look a bit deeper at the text and these, these headings. When the perfect comes, and then secondly, the partial disappears, but thirdly, love continues. Paul says, but when the perfect comes. Uh, perfect here means the end point, uh, the destination, that which is aimed for, which is finished, which is completed. Uh, the word that's used here for perfect or perfection is often used in the New Testament for the word for the coming of Christ again, at the end of time. That's what I take the word to refer to here. Of course, it does mean perfection with a common meaning of the word, meaning without fault and actually perfect. It's the coming of Christ all the time when we die and stand perfected before God. It's saying that we are arrows whistling through time and space towards the target. One day, we'll hit that target. Whether it be the Lord coming again, or whether it be our death and passing into his presence. A time is coming for the earth, or for us as individuals. For the church, for each Christian, that is described as perfect, and it is perfect. Isn't that a great thought? <laughs> When you look around yourselves and you think, oh, this universe, what's going to happen to it? Oh, me, what's, what's going to happen to me? Perfection is coming. It will come. It's a great thought. As some Christian groups have a, a statement in their beliefs that perfection is attainable in this life. I, I read a, a church website recently, not, uh, 
not, not from around here, but one I was looking at, and they said, we believe in the Christian perfection. A little further on, he says, uh, if you come to church, you've got to realize we're not perfect. Um, <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Uh, even the, even the, the churches, even the theologians that would theoretically believe in some sort of Christian perfection must admit that we are not perfect yet. Uh, the text is saying when the perfect comes, some things will disappear because they're no longer necessary. Uh, it's not saying that perfection is attainable in this life. If the state of perfection is attainable in this life, why don't we see it more often? Or, indeed, why don't we ever see it? And if it was attainable, would such gifts that the holder possessed just disappear when he attained perfection? The perfect that is to come must be something applicable to the whole world and to every Christian. We do achieve but a very small part of holiness in this life. The growth in grace and holiness produces in us a clear-sightedness of the distance we still have to go, of the short space we've climbed up the mountain. The more we go on in the Christian faith, the more we realize there is more and more ground to conquer. Isn't that true? All ideas of perfection are, are rooted in unreality, be that a moral perfection or a perfection of the knowledge of God. We always see, all of us, but the edges of his ways. Job 26 again. Perfection in this life is not possible. Seeing God in this life is not possible. Knowing as we are known in this life is not possible. But perfection will come. Either the Lord will return or we will die and pass into his glorious presence. It will mean the perfection of our souls and our bodies in Christ. Long for that day. What a glorious day that will be. The thought of it encourages us now. So the partial disappears when the perfect comes. When the perfect comes, the imperfect will disappear. It's not that the imperfect is bad. It's just that it's that. It's partial. It's imperfect. Uh, but the perfect will outshine the imperfect as the light of the sun would outshine a candle in a darkened room when the curtains are flung back. And Paul is here comparing the gifts of the Spirit with love. He says that these gifts are time-bound and partial, but love will continue forever. Verse 8, love never ends. And these three gifts, he mentions, they will pass away. He mentions these three gifts, prophecy, tongues, knowledge. They're representative of all the gifts that uh, he's mentioned in, throughout 1 Corinthians or in other places. Uh, what, what are these gifts? Well, uh, it's not a sermon on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but let me say in general that these are abilities. 
sometimes a one-off occurrence, which God the Holy Spirit gives to individuals for the good of the church. The trouble is we're so conditioned by uh, the, the modern charismatic church, by our brothers and sisters in the modern charismatic church. We're so conditioned by, by them and, and, and by the, the, the sort of things that, that they do uh, and say. We're so conditioned by them that we think that what they describe as the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit are the same things that are being described in the pages of the New Testament. But we, we simply do not know what they are or were. We simply do not know what um, the gift of knowledge would have looked like on the ground in Corinth. Uh, we're not told. It, it such obviously existed. What it may represent today, again, we, we don't know. But we do know that the Lord gives various gifts uh, be they a, uh, a gift that the person has, or be they just a once-off thing that is for the good and for the benefit of his church in this world. We can say that the gifts are valuable to the church. If we'd have read on to chapter 14, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Uh, prophecy is obviously some sort of speaking gift. But he also says that these gifts are capable of existing and flourishing in a loveless environment. Just look at the first few verses of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I can, or anybody can, if they can hold a congregation on the edges of their seats for an hour-long sermon, but they're not, they don't have the Christian character. Paul is saying, you better shut up. It's not doing anybody any good. If I understand all mysteries, if I've got degrees in theology coming out the top of my head, but I don't have that Christian character, which is love, then, well, maybe they're worth the paper they're written on, but not much more. Gifts can dazzle, but if there's no character, no love, then they do not profit at all. This is one of the troubles that the, uh, the Corinthian church was, was, got itself tied up in. They, they were dazzled by these uh, spiritual gifts, whatever they were. They were dazzled by them, but had left perhaps the development of character on the back burner somewhere. Uh, in chapter 5, Paul, Paul challenges the, uh, the Corinthian church about this, this case of um, a, a wrong relationship that was going on that everybody was approving of. And he says... It's something even the pagans wouldn't allow. And you are arrogant, he says. They were taken up with the gifts with themselves, but not with Christian character. These gifts will disappear when the perfect comes. What's happening here is that the gifts are being contrasted to Christian character. It's not that they're bad and character's good. Both are good. But don't neglect 
the growth of character at the expense of gifts. Don't focus too much, so much, on the gifts that character takes a back seat. The apostle says that love lasts forever and the gifts don't. Now, I I want to make uh, an assumption here, which is that in the second part of 1 Corinthians 13, when it speaks about love, it's making love stand for the whole Christian character formed by the Holy Spirit and the Christian working together. So that's when it, when it mentions love, it's really making love as the part stand for the whole. So it's making love stand for the whole Christian character that has been formed in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and the Christian working together. Uh, grounds, grounds for doing this, uh, for asking you to, to allow me to do this, the grounds are that love is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Remember Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, and so on. The gifts are not really separable from the others. Um, You cannot be loving and unkind. They're all of a piece. You can't be loving and impatient. They're all of a piece. So you can't really separate out the gifts and say, well, love loves, loves the one, but the other's. We'll put to one side for the time being. The second grounds is that love can be represented by a person in 1 Corinthians. Supremely, it is by Jesus. We can substitute the name of Jesus. Um, Jesus is patient and kind. Uh, Jesus does not envy or boast. is not arrogant or rude. And so on. But the person is an integrated whole. So if Jesus is loving, he must have all the other characteristics of Christian character as well. So Paul is contrasting the temporary spiritual gifts with the rock-solid Christian character. Uh, the Corinthians were emphasizing the first and seem to be neglecting the second. The call here to us is to give due regard and weight to the development of our characters. Character grows, and as it grows, it gives hope of eternal life. Uh, Romans 4, sorry, Romans 5. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Character produces hope. And so the more character we have, the more hope we will have in eternal life. And then Thirdly, love continues. Love continues when the perfect comes. What will happen when the perfect comes? When Jesus comes, or we go into the presence of the Lord through death? Paul gives an illustration here. It's in verse 11. And he gives the outcome of that 
in verse 12. The illustration of the perfect coming is that of moving from childhood to adulthood. It's moving from one state to another. Paul is not telling the Corinthians to grow up and stop behaving like children. Uh, Perhaps instead of giving up childish ways, it might have been better to say give up childlike ways. The Lord was always very positive about children. He he said to us, if... um, Unless you turn and become like little children, you've no hope of getting into the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is that the imperfect passing away and the perfect coming is moving from one condition, one state, to another. The child, partial, imperfect. The adult, uh, fully formed, perfect. There must be a change, he's saying. A radical change. So that you can get from one state to another. Now, just just think of, uh, cast your minds back to when you were five years old. Uh, I can't. I don't really expect you to. Uh, cast your mind back to a three-year-old, a five-year-old. Uh, they're wonderful but you wouldn't expect them to buy and sell your house for you, would you? Um, I, had, uh, I had a little friend once who was a, a flower girl, and um, she loved weddings, and uh, every day for a long time after that, she'd get married every day. Uh, she'd have to wait 20 years or so before she could really get married. What, so what, what the illustration is saying is that as an adult, you've undergone a transformation. It wasn't sudden. You can't put a date on it. But you stopped being a child and you are now an adult. It's a complete change. It's a a metamorphosis, a complete change. The Apostle is saying, in order for us to see God face to face, we must be changed ourselves. Um, we must undergo a transformation as radical as that from a child to an adult. And he will go on in chapter 15 to say, that's not going to be over a long period of time. It's going to be in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and we shall be changed. The the coming of perfection, the passing away of the imperfect, the coming of the perfect, is illustrated by this metamorphosis of the child passing to an adult. It's a little bit like an egg becoming a bird. You don't expect the egg to fly and to sing in the dawn chorus. But when it becomes a bird, it can. And the outcome of this change is there in verse 12. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So the coming of the perfect requires this change, and this is the outcome of the change. We shall see God face to face. Now we see as in a mirror, and in the Greek that word is the, the, the word that we get the English word enigma from. Now we see God enigmatically. We can't quite focus. We can't quite get the detail. We can't quite figure out why he's doing this, why he's done that. Uh, the archaeologists will tell us that in those days, mirrors were made of polished metal. Uh, they didn't have the silver and glass mirrors that we have these days. And, uh, uh, of course, polished metal is, is fine, but uh, it gives a, always gives a slightly distorted image. Uh, they, they could see the, their own image reflected in a, in a still pool, of course. Uh, but in a mirror like that, they couldn't. But supposing the mirror produced a perfect image, supposing the mirror was like the ones that are there in modern scientific instruments, would we see God perfectly? No. The fault is not in the mirror. The fault is certainly not in the object, that's God. It's in, it's in ourselves. It's in our ability to see. It's only an illustration that we are looking at God as through a mirror and the whole is somewhat distorted. The distortion is with us. But change the person who looks. When the perfect comes, and he or she will see face to face, the mirror is done away with. And he or she is changed to be able to see. It's a, a metamorphosis, a complete change. Like the child becoming an adult, or the egg hatching out into a bird. We're all, all of us, all too used to the difference between a Zoom meeting and a face-to-face meeting, aren't we? Um, second best, but when the perfect comes, virtual reality goes out the window. Real reality comes in, and we see God. And we'll be in his presence forever. Takes us back to Job 26. Now we see partially. Now we see but the edges of his ways. Now we hear his voice that thunders as a whisper we can hardly discern. But then, then we shall see him as he is. What will matter then are not the gifts of the Spirit that we may or may not have had or exercised, but our Christian character. We'll have no need of these gifts. All of the gifts of the Spirit, useful as they are for now, we won't need them. For we shall see and know God, as we are now known.
We need that change, that resurrection, before we can see God face to face. So grow your Christian character. It is that that goes through to the end. Do not despise ordinary everyday gifts or the abilities that God may give you for the extension of your kingdom. But don't let them dazzle you. Be humble. We see and hear God in part, and that a very small part only. But rejoice, the perfect is coming. One day we shall see God face to face. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, O Lord, for this great promise that we shall be changed, that we will be able to see you face to face, and you see us face to face, and we know you even as we are known. Lord, we rejoice in the thought, and we pray that that thought may encourage us. And we do pray too, Father, that you will give us this, this grace of your Holy Spirit, that together working with him, that we may develop this Christian character by the fruit of your Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.